A reading from Exodus. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above, or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honor your father and your mother, so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house, nor shall you covet your neighbor's wife, or male or female slave, or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When all the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking, they were afraid and trembled and stood at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, for God has come only to test you and to put the fear of him upon you so that you do not sin. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Jesus said, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. 
When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. This past week opened with horrific images and reports coming out of Las Vegas. Stunning us and all of our neighbors with a reality of violence continuing to unfold in our midst and a sense of tragedy on a scale that none of us really can quite wrap our heads and hearts around. A response to that image this week comes out of our scripture readings this day. And you can sum up the readings with two images that lie very much the foundation of our tradition. The first goes back to that primordial story of Moses bringing God's law to the people at the foot of Mount Sinai. This people, this wayward folk who have been liberated from bondage in Egypt and led out into the wilderness, this people who are already railing against this strange God, Yahweh, and who are afraid. Yahweh, you see, is something that might remind them of all the other gods around them and the primitive gods of which they are very familiar, gods that they would have heard about probably even in Egypt, gods of fire who demand human sacrifice, gods of punishment who unleash violence upon people when they step out of line, even just a little bit. Yet Moses comes down the mountain and reveals to them something that they cannot quite fathom. A God who does not threaten them, but rather gives them a new way of being. In our godly play classrooms, we teach the Ten Commandments as the ten ways to live. And they are very much at the root of our tradition for good reason, because they are a counterpoint to the way the world normally works. We are supposed to follow everything bright and shiny that comes our way just like our primitive ancestors did in the rainforests when we saw a ripe fruit or a lovely object to take. We are supposed to covet what our neighbor has and perhaps take it and then justify ourselves by lying about it if we're caught red-handed. We are supposed to follow whatever desire drives us because those who follow their desires and are strong enough are the survivors, the ones who get to go on and who get to have children and perpetuate 
their genetic line. We were inheritors of the law of the jungle, the law of violence. But what Yahweh offers this people wandering in the wilderness is something entirely new and different. A way to build a society, a way to build a civilization where people are safe and secure and at peace and where people are honored in their dignity and respected simply for being God's chosen. Neighbors are not enemies any longer. Something new is being planted in the story of the human family. Now, you might say before the ink on that law is even dry, before it is chiseled for the first time into stone, if you like those old Charlton Heston movies, the Israelites began to struggle with it. The Israelites are human, as are the rest of us. They know that their proclivity is towards violence, and that struggle becomes the chief problem for the rest of the Hebrew Scriptures. It necessitates the sending of the prophets, the sending of all kinds of leaders who will try to recall people back to this common root, this law of covenant, this strange God that they cannot quite believe in because this God is so unusual. Why? Because at the end of the day, this God does not operate out of a place of violence. Every once in a while, you'll stumble across a place in Scripture that suggests otherwise. But if you look at Scripture as a whole, this is not a God who operates out of violence. This is a God of patience, a God of true justice, a God ultimately of love. And it is this wrestling with this God, this entanglement, that brings us to the gospel reading for this day. For those of you who are here last week, you may remember that this set of stories in Matthew opens with Jesus going to Jerusalem, this country bumpkin from the north, from Galilee, dares to confront the temple authorities, and they immediately question him, what gives you the authority? What gives you the right to teach about who God is? They hold all the cards, you see. They are the ones who tell the people when to come to the temple and offer sacrifice. They are the ones who tell the people when they are right with God. Incidentally, they are also the ones who are in cahoots with the Roman authorities. They are making sure the tribute flows to Rome to keep the peace. And in that good exchange that the world understands, in that contractual arrangement, whether written or unwritten, the Romans then will let them keep their power in the temple 
and maintain the priestly caste that has been passed on from generation to generation. In short, the authorities in Jerusalem have made friends with the violence of the world, even though they are called to keep the law that was delivered by Moses all those many generations ago. So Jesus confronts them with a series of parables to make note that they have aligned themselves with something other than God's law. Scholars debate how to read today's parable. The classic interpretation is that this is a parable of the gospel itself. This is the gospel in miniature. Perhaps that's how Matthew intended it. This is the story of the unfaithful tenants, the authorities in Jerusalem, who have killed the prophets. And ultimately, when God sends his son, of course, we as Christian folk and Matthew's Jewish Christian audience are to hear that as Jesus himself, he also will be killed. But there is another interpretation which looks closely at the text and makes note of something that our translators have glossed over today. And that is when they introduce the landowner. Jesus, in the original Greek, doesn't just say landowner. He says, a man, a landowner. Which some scholars say suggests we are not to hear this as a story about God but as a story about economic injustice in the first century that Jesus is bringing with him from the north. You see, the people, particularly the crowds who are following Jesus, will understand this story about an absentee landlord. They were everywhere, particularly in the Galilean countryside, and the people will have identified, most of all, with the tenants in this story. Because the tenants know that if the landlord dies and they kill the heir, they can lay claim to the land. And wouldn't that be justice? Jesus, by telling this story to the authorities in Jerusalem, is saying, you need to see what's really going on in the people that you crush with all of these expectations by demanding that they come to make sacrifice and pay tribute to be right with God. Jesus wants them to see how crushed these people are already and to remind them that they belong as much as the temple authorities do. But with either interpretation, the conclusion to the story is the same. The temple authorities immediately identify with what the landlord will do. And what will he do? He will come and he will wreak vengeance on these wicked tenants. Because that's the way the world works. Those who have power get to inflict it on others with violence. They understand that. But then Jesus points out to them 
they have sold out. They have forgotten their roots in what Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. They have departed from that image of a kingdom that Yahweh planted in the hearts of his people all those years ago. Jesus then points to himself, and the early Christian community understands that what Christ represents is a scandal to the world, is a stumbling block that will fall right into the heart of the systems of violence that dominate everyone's lives. That by giving himself over to that system and confronting that evil way of being, Jesus continues what Moses had already begun, and that is to begin to unwind the systems of violence from the inside, to plant what some of the New Testament writers call a scandalon, a scandal, a stumbling block, right in the middle of the wicked powers of this world. That scandal is what we come to touch, taste, and take into ourselves and pray over week over week as a Christian people. We are, you might say, people of the scandal, the great scandal, the scandal of Christ. We are meant to be that block that the world stumbles over every time it tries to exert its usual patterns of power and violence and domination. Sometimes, if truth be told, we are like the temple authorities and we have sold out. But as in the days of old, that does not change the covenant that we have inherited. That same covenant that our Jewish brothers and sisters, day by day, continue to pray over, and that we are called into in our branch of that tradition. We are a scandal. And if you watched the news this week and got beyond all of the political posturing and all of the commentary that so dominated the headlines, if you listen closely, you can see that scandal already at work even in the midst of the horror in Las Vegas. That scandal was operating as thousands of people took to the streets just yesterday to walk in solidarity and peace and prayer. As people donated materials and time, and the city gave over a plot of land in Las Vegas to plant 58 trees to remember those who died just last week. That scandal was here in town just yesterday evening when Mark Heyer spoke just down the road. Mark is the father of Heather Heyer, who lost her life just a few short weeks ago in the violence in Charlottesville. And even before he had resolved all of her worldly business, 
he was starting to say publicly that he was going to take the path of forgiveness. A scandal, a scandal to a world that believes first, shouldn't there be some justice? Shouldn't there be some retribution? Shouldn't we at least have time to process and be angry against those who have wreaked enormous harm upon our society and upon our families? Don't we have the right to have and hold our resentments for at least a little while? No, the scandal says that is not our path. Buried deep in the Ten Commandments is a reminder that we follow a different way. Jesus, that stranger who comes from the north, confronts even our most esteemed institutional ways of dealing and meeting out justice and the violence that is behind those and says, no, this is not our way. You will fall over this, Jesus reminds us. You will stumble, and you will stumble not to fail, but in order to find true holiness. Like Mark Heyer, we are called to be a scandal to a world that only understands the language of violence. And when we do that, when we become that stumbling block, We are acting as Christ's body, given, broken, shared, in the hope of a new way of being, a new world, a new community that even now is unfolding in our midst. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.